Hello, Internet. Welcome to another episode of That Random Podcast Show, the nerd culture podcast about all things geek, unusual, intellectual, and scintillatingly fascinating. I am your host, Tyler Chancy, the digital desperado himself, and with me, as always, is the lovable and quite sardonic at times, Foxman, Michael Mosley. How you doing? Why would you lie to people and say that this show has intelligence? Like, what has people ever done to you to deserve such a lie? It must fart for joke. Ah, crap, I got nothing. I don't want to have a code brown on the recording booth, but uh, that's my response to that. Lowbrow humor. Scatological. <laughs> okay. Uh, this episode, ladies and gentlemen and others, if I do sound a little bit um, lower in my register, bit uh, voice sounds a bit different, it's because I've been spending quite a bit of time uh, on top of yelling at a couple of mechanics who know exactly what they did wrong. <clears throat> I have been attending a convention this weekend and have been writing feverishly about it for thegamefanatics.com. Michael, so what have you been doing? It just so happened that I, too, was at a convention. And while I didn't write anything down because, you know, I have technology and unlike you, I'm free to do whatever I please. I uh, did a lot of interview recording and was frustrated because... Well, we'll get to that when we uh, start talking about our conventions. Ha! Oh, you hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, first, before we get into that, uh, tell me, what, what have you been playing lately? What have you been um, uh, consuming lately, you giant medium sponge? Mostly Cuphead, and I've been playing Overwatch now that they have their Halloween special event going on. I've been going back uh, playing that. Dang. Ah, oh, man, I gotta get back into that. Uh, for me, I've been playing The Evil Within 2 and uh, a bit of a bit of Destiny 2. Uh, I can say The Evil Within 2 is at least better than the first one, so there's that. And uh, Destiny 2, rating is still stressful, but my god, does it feel good when you clear it. I think that'll do for the banter. So, you said you've been to a convention, Michael, please. Tell me, and by extension, the listeners, what it's all about. Well, I went to XPO Game Fest this year at Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is like an hour away from where I live anyway, so it's like, it's pretty much local. Um, it was a small event. Uh, this is actually their second year, and they actually had some pretty cool stuff out there. They had, they had uh, arcade cabinets set up with like, Galaga and Pac-Man, and even games from overseas. Like they had a couple of uh, Sailor Moon games and uh, some old school uh, bullet hell shooters, which I'm a big fan of. Ooh, ooh some shmups. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, they they had plenty for everybody, and and within the same room, uh, they all had in this one big ballroom. Uh, in in this on the other side of the room, they had laser tags. They had like an actual obstacle for laser tag, which is actually kind of cool. And they also had, uh, like two dozen or so, uh, computers set up where people were playing League of Legends and they were playing players on, on the, uh, on the ground or, yeah. Play, player Unknown Battlegrounds. Yeah, there you go. Player Unknown. PUBG. Let's just call it PUBG. Yeah, I keep seeing PUBG and I keep thinking it's Player on the, uh, Pl Player Unknowns Battlegrounds. Yeah, I don't play the game, so I don't really care. That's, that's, I don't play the game. I don't well, play the game I mean, either. I know what this is. Yeah, the, the game is streamer bait. So you have no excuse here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they had they had a uh, a group that was actually in the middle of the ballroom who was actually uh, live streaming. Uh, they're they're playing of a uh, Cuphead throughout the convention, so that was pretty cool. And they had a big stage, and on the other side of that, they had. A booth set up for independent developers showing off their game. And on the other side of those developers, you had the card games. And right across from them, you had uh, a section for the VR setup. Like, this was a pretty big room. They were able to fit all this stuff in there. Nice. Uh, let's see. Oh, I didn't think you were actually going to continue to go on. 
No, no, no. I'm actually quite fascinated. It's always good to hear personal experiences since you were there with your fancy cameras and your interviews and your discussions. So please tell me about certain developers you have picked the brains of and you swooned with your fancy technology, you damn transhuman weirdo with your smart cameras and your boom mics and your lighting and your recording software. Come on. Yeah, the same, recording, same recording software you rely on for this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Don't turn this on me. Uh, it's too late. <laughs> too late. But um, it's funny that you actually brought up the whole fancy camera and, and stuff because I, I was getting frustrated with my camera because it kept crashing on me, both physically, both literally and figuratively speaking. And the software kept going out on me. And then... Um, Oh, let's see. I got to talk with, uh, Bill Gardner. I hope I said his name right. Uh, he. Oh, you met, I think you mentioned before. He, uh, uh, worked on Bioshock, I think. Yeah, he worked on Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. And, um, he, he's independent now. He works with his wife. Um, and they started the, their own studio called the Deep End Games. And they released a game back in May called, uh, Perception. Oh, oh, wait a minute! Wasn't that the uh, the first person survival horror game where you played as a blind woman? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, and um, he was there at the show showing off the game on the Switch. So I did see that announcement. He's showing it off on the Nintendo Switch. Good for him. Good for them. Yeah, yeah. So they actually had like um, they they had they had the game up and running on the Switch, and of course on the PC, and I chose to play the game on the Switch, and it works. Oh, my goodness. I know, like, with the game like Survival Horror, you want a big screen so you can see, but the game works. It, it feels right at home on the Switch. Like, it, 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 even with with the limitations of the Switch, like, the whole small screen, uh, 720p or 900p output with, uh, when the you're very, in handheld the, mode. The very fact that the whole thing basically runs on mobile technology? Well, I mean, it's just as powerful as the 360 and PS3. Well, at least the 360. But um, it, but yeah, it ran smoothly. Um, it, the sound itself was pretty good. We had uh, they put they gave you headphones, so the sound design was still good. And I was I was I was impressed. And I was like, oh wow, this is actually really cool. This is something that I would want on the Switch and go around and show my friends who also like horror. But yeah, I got I got to talk. To, I got a chance to talk to Bill about the game and how it came about. And nice. it was it was it was very interesting. This is a man who obviously still still has a passion for video games and design, because when I would ask him a question, he would give out legitimate long answers about something, and he was like, yeah, and you can tell that he was in love with it. All I all I asked him was like, oh, I um, always I always love hearing that from developers. They just <laughs> the passion's contagious. Yeah, and it's great. Like I wanted to sit there all day and talk to him about his game. Because I would ask him something simple like, oh, where did the idea of perception come from? And he would tell me about how he was in school and how he was inspired because one night, like he remembered, he was like, oh, it was like a cold October night. And I was like, man, this guy's going full blown in. I'm, I'm loving this. And he would talk about how he couldn't see the ground and how he was using his senses to move around because there might be some acorns or something on the ground. And... um he actually spoke with somebody, a, a blind man who used uh, echolocations uh, to oh, get around. Yeah. So the whole echolocation in the game, it wasn't just there for the game. They actually uh, uh, built his I, wife. I, I think I know what you're talking about. I remember there being like a, like a public interest episode of 2020 about uh, blind people that managed to develop a form of echolocation. Man, like that, yeah, so that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, they talked to someone yeah. who's an expert who actually goes around, uh, who has a uh, program that teaches people uh, how to use echolocation. Like he helps blind people uh, use echolocation, and he went on about how he and his wife, uh, like they they actually spoke with blind people. They actually did their research on it, and they, they, they really they really tucked in and made sure the game was representative. Of that and made a story out of it. Well, yeah, and, and the thing was like, like Bill would be like, "Oh, I love horror games, but I don't like calling this a horror because it's mm -hmm. because it's, it's it's something other than that. Is is borderline walking simulator? 
it's it's an atmospheric piece. It's a mood piece. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. That's, that's... It's 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 telling the experience of relying on something unconventional to find your way, and how that can be terrifying to somebody more familiar with traditional sites. Yeah. So he so they they call so they don't really call it a horror, although they do see why somebody would see it that way, and it's be, and it's because um, of the way he was going. I call the game minimalistic, and and he agreed. He's like, that's what I was going for, and I was like. Well, you definitely hit the nail on the head with the way this game is presented, and it was a lot of fun talking to Bill about uh about his game, and bring it to the Switch and what he was aiming for. The more platforms, the the more coverage and more widespread, of course, it'll be, of course. Well, well the, the thing is, like, he wasn't he wasn't going on about like spreading the game out, and because I was thinking the same thing, and I was like, oh, well, you bring it to the Switch now, and he's like, oh yeah, we we're doing all these cool updates and changing some things. I was like. Well, don't you think like maybe that'll make some of your older fans like mad because you're changing the game that they love if they go back and play it, blah blah blah. He's like, no, that's a great question. And he went on about the changes he made and why they made them and how it affects the game and his and why he enjoys doing it. And I was like, you know what? These are the kind of developers that you want to talk to because when he was talking about his updates, he was talking about how he took feedback from people who love the game, from people who hate the game. And he implemented those changes so they would work with the new game. Like one of the big changes that he made was making sure that, um, cause when, when I was playing the game, I, I couldn't tell when I was supposed to be in danger or whatnot. And he was like, yes, one of the changes we made was now the echolocation is not just going to be blue. It would now change colors to reflect certain scenarios. And that came back from feedback from people who couldn't really figure out certain parts of the game. And I was like, well, you know, that's pretty cool that this is an update that's not only come to Switch, but also as an update to people who already have the game. So that, that was a lot of fun. And That's neat. Oh, yeah, it really is. That's, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And uh, and I will have that interview up um, on my on my YouTube channel as soon as possible. So stay tuned, folks. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. I also got to meet a couple who uh, was making a game. That's mono bongos. It's just bonkers. So what? What they mono bongos? Mono bongo bonkers. Mono bongo bonkers. I like that. It's very bouncy. <laughs> it's fun to say. Yeah, try saying it three times fast. Mono bono oh, no, bonkers. Gonna do it. Mono bono bonkers. Mono bono bonkers. Mono bono bonkers. <laughs> okay. Okay. But um. I was I was talking to this couple about their game and how they 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 were doing episodic games different from how Telltale's and other companies were doing it. Um, uh, I feel bad because I forget the first half of the, the name of the game. It's something of the Fae. I want to say Children of the Fly, but that's not it. Um, they they have plans for a three part episode, and the way they were doing things was the first episode. The, the game is pretty much a visual novel, but they have they have puzzle games in it. They have this tabletop-esque uh, game into it. They have this RPG element in it. And they have a couple of mini-games as part of it as well. And I was like, well, this is this is an interesting day to do episodic content. And so- Sounds quite uh, bonkers. It is bongo bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> and the way they were trying to do the game was, um, as the story advances and go on, the gameplay itself also changes. So that way you're not just doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. And I, I have heard that recently. A lot of developers are trying to find a way to avoid the dreaded it's repetitive feedback. So they like to mix up the, the entire genres into the experience yeah. to keep things moving. Yeah, and and they're doing that with the story. And I was really I didn't get a chance to play the game because the booth was pretty busy. Mm-hmm. But um, the game looked interesting the parts that i've seen of the vision novel part and part of this roll the die rpgs tabletop looking uh mini game and i, I want to see more of this like i'm interested in seeing more i wish i had i wish i had more time to spend with the game but it, they, they stayed busy people were that happened that happens a lot at conventions. Oh yeah, like, especially especially when they're trying to cover in some capacity it's always that feeling of i wish i was i wish i could you know be in more in multiple places at once. 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though the convention was pretty small, there was enough people there to where I couldn't get to every game. So I couldn't try every game, but I'm glad I tried Perception. But um, now we're going to talk about one of my favorite games that I saw at the convention was a game called Battle Cakes. It is the most adorable Continue. <laughs> it is, you have my attention. It, it, oh man, trust me, as soon as I saw this game, it had my attention. It, it, it's just, it is the most adorable little RPG I ever did see. Aww. So you play as these three little cupcakes. Um, Birthday Sprinkle, Midnight Truffle, and Red Velvet. And if you haven't guessed by now, the whole game runs on bakery puns. It is wonderful. Uh, we apologize in advance. If, oh no, if no, no! Anybody hungry? Oh no, there's, not, there's no, no apologies. Not. No, no, we're not. <laughs> no apologies. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not apologizing. But um, yes, you play these three cupcakes who are going around this sugary little little island of theirs or this uh world of theirs, and. There's this mystery you're trying to solve, and you do, there's two ways you can go about it. You can either go about it and kick the butts of every enemy that comes your way, or you can befriend them. And when I was talking to developers about this game, I was like, okay, well, which, by the way, is a three-man team. So take that as you will, and the game still looks fun. Um, I asked him about, like, like okay, let's get this out of the way. Everybody's going to say Undertale. And... Oh man, one, the faces of one of the developers like, yep, saw it coming. Here we go. So um, when I asked them about that, they were like, yeah, unfortunately, we started work on this game. Like the conception, the uh, the idea of this game came before Undertale's, and in fact, that it it is so far back that it started off as a web comic. And I guess you know the game, the, the web comic didn't go the way they were hoping for, so the web comic ended up getting scrapped. And they rebuilt, they retooled it to become a game. And Undertale came along. So now, now, now they know that, yeah, whenever someone sees this game, they're going to think Undertale. Some of the wind has been taken out of their sails now. Well, you would think so, but no, they, they, they're actually, they're taking it with endearment. They're like, well, the way we handle befriending and kicking the bus of enemy works different from Undertale because instead of like a mini game, the befriending mechanic works just like, uh, any other action RPG mechanic. Um, you can use items and you use skills and as you use them and more successful with them, they actually level up. So the way they're doing it was different. And I was like, okay, you know what? That's actually kind of cool. Now that does sound pretty good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's actually part of the core mechanic. And of course I had to ask him, there was a candy corn enemy in the game. Oh gear. Cause if there is, I'm destroying that candy corn. But there is a candy. Oh, watch, watch it be minions like like they just get swarm like they're swarm enemies. They just come after you. That's, that's what I was hoping for. But no, they're actually turning it into like an actual uh, character, like a unicorn candy corn thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, they did not have that in their uh, in in their demo and the, current, and the current build they have. Yeah, they didn't have it, so I didn't get a chance to kick the butt of candy corn unicorns. But um. It's called Battle Cakes, and it is definitely the most adorable-looking RPG I've ever seen, and I am now excited for that game, just like I am for Super Lucky's Tale. That game is so adorable. It's adorable! It's, oh my goodness, that game is so adorable. Uh, did I mention it's adorable? Because it is... Calm down, man. It's, I, I, I still need a co-host. I can't have you explode into <laughs> confetti on me. Speaking of confetti, it's so adorable. No. <laughs> but um, I also got to uh, try out a card game called uh, Shodan. Shodan? Yes. It's actually one of the more interesting uh, uh, card games I've, I've, I've seen in recent years. Um, um, is, is, it a, is it a deck building game or is it a trading card game? It, it's, it's deck building, but it's okay. it, but it's a game that takes so much strategy that you can actually end the game in like five minutes, if that. Ooh. Yes, yeah, like it, it, it could either be a long game or a quick game depending on who, it, who who's playing who. And during the demo that I played of of Shodan, um, the developers they gave me a leg up. And try to show me how to win the game, and I still lost. 
<laughs> because I made a small mistake and threw down a card that I should have saved. And because of that, uh, the developers were able to stack certain cards against me when I had a, a card in my hand that could have ended the whole thing. And I was mm. like, wow, this is actually really cool that you could actually end somebody within... Uh, and they didn't even draw a card. I drew a card, played down, and they used, they used my power cards against me. And I was like, wow, this is actually really... This is actually really cool, and I wish I had more time to actually talk to them. But unfortunately, again, their booth was always busy, and it was at the end of the con by the time I got a chance to talk with them. So, uh, uh, was there like a theme to the car game showdown? Like it was showdown? Was it like um? Uh, it was samurai. Uh, okay, okay, it was samurai. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I was imagining something cyberpunk because I was thinking showdown from System Shock. <laughs> no, this is a it's, it's a feudal Japan samurai esque uh, theme. Legend of the Five Rings, Sengoku, gotcha. Yeah, and they have a similar card game called uh, uh, High Noon. And only, oh, for, but, for, but Wild West. But yeah, but Wild West. And the only reason I remember that is because I kept thinking of uh, McGree, uh, McCree. McCree from Overwatch. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> hey, that's his card game. Well, look at that. It's High Noon. No, 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 just a card game. Everybody, you can come out of hiding. <laughs> But the con was fun. It, I I had a blast. I got a chance to even talk to uh the uh, head of the um of the convention and get my feedback because he was going around asking people, asking uh developers and whatnot. Hey, what do you think about three days? We're thinking about changing things up. We want to do this and that. And it was great that I was able to give him feedback. And the staff there was so friendly. Like it was it, it was a great con experience. Nobody was frustrated. Nobody was running about trying to solve issues. Like everything ran so smoothly. The only reason I knew there were staff there is because they had specific shirts. Other than that, nothing went wrong with that con. No power blowouts, no fights, uh, no lost items. It's, it's it was it was quite the con actually for something so small in their second year. I, I, they they got things handled already. That is pretty neat. Huh. So, the XBO Expo at uh, Oklahoma was? Yeah, the Expo Game Fest in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This was just their in second year. Tulsa. Yeah, this was just their second year. And, oh, freaking. Oh. Yeah, and they, they're going nowhere but up because um, I also like to speak to um, I Casper. No, I think iCasper is just his uh, Twitter handle, but his name is Casper. He's a Twitch streamer, and I got a chance to uh, talk with him about his panel, and he gave in uh, in, in, uh, his tips about um, uh, what was about uh, starting up with Twitch and stuff, Mm -hmm. and I come to find out why I'm doing so bad at streaming. So I was like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty helpful uh, helpful hints he's giving out. Tips? What was the biggest one you uh, got from him? Oh, um... Average time. I asked them, like, for somebody who's just starting up, uh, who, who doesn't want to be in front of a webcam, can they still find success in that? He's like, oh, absolutely. There's plenty of big time streamers who don't use webcams, who only uses their voice. And I also asked him, how much time do you think somebody needs minimum when it comes to, uh, streaming? He's like, three hours minimum. If you do an hour, it's not enough. It's gotta be, it's gotta be at least three hours of streaming on a constant basis. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot better about my Friday night streams because I make sure those are because uh, I make sure those are three hours at least. And uh, by the way, for the, by the way, yes, I'm still planning on going through and finishing Resident Evil Seven this coming Friday. So pay attention. So yeah, three hour minimum during a session. Okay, okay, that's actually pretty neat. It's a good little rule of thumb. I'm sure there's plenty more, but uh, oh yeah, that's, um, that's all, all, all all these interviews I was just talking about. Uh, I will have them up on my YouTube channel within the next week or so. I'm just waiting on certain assets and, of course, have to edit said videos. So it's all just wait and see. Oh, you workhorse. I love you. <laughs> I bet. What can I say? You're a fox, and foxes are cuddly. Where are you going? This is very true. <laughs> so, so yeah, that... uh, what about um? Uh, what was yours? Fear? I actually forgot the name of it. it was it against fear? Right? 
<laughs> I'm sorry, when you said fear, I think that's the exact opposite of what I wanted <laughs> to bring up. But but yes, while you were at the XBO Game Fest in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I took three days to myself after about three days of chaos. That's a uh, topic for another time. I participate. I went to for three days the event Save Against Fear, being held basically in my backyard of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's it's a convention that's held by um, uh, the nonprofit organization, the Bodana Group, and it's and it's a nonprofit organization that promotes the therapeutic and clinical application of gaming as a form of mental of mental health therapy helping those with social anxiety dealing with tra- dealing with traumatic events or even dealing with something as simple as um uh, attention deficit disorder and helping them cope and learn and improve themselves and uh learn social skills or learn coping mechanisms or learn a for- or help regain a part of their um uh, mental faculties and consciousness and sense of self to help deal with uh, their own uh, personal uh, problems. And this is actually their ninth year. This is this has been around for quite a while. And it's dominantly a tabletop convention. So miniatures, uh, uh, RPGs, card uh, deck building games, board games, that was all there. And uh, I attended there and uh, got myself a weekend pass, courtesy of the very ta- very uh, hardworking PR people at thegamefinax.com. I went there and scheduled scheduled to start playing some uh, prototypes and some working versions of games by uh, by several creative uh, developers and basically getting to basically experience their game with them and experience things with them while also getting a chance to well get. A, Get, basically see what's going on in the backyard because this has happened to me I think uh, Michael uh, if uh, I, I I've worked um, I've been writing for about video games and criticizing video games for so long that I've gotten used to dealing with with bigger named people like Bethesda Capcom Nintendo a bunch of other indie developers that I still try to keep in contact with. And I find them to be very fascinating and creatively talented people. But then sometimes you kind of forget that, oh, yeah, any place has the capacity for great creativity and greatness. And I got reminded of that while I was here, basically in a town, in, in a state that's basically been a part of my life. And that was what kept surprising me as I attended this convention for a very good cause, because I came across quite a few interesting people. Like, I came across some, um, uh, James Bear. T- uh, he, he calls himself Bear. He actually traveled quite a while. He, uh, came all the way from California to this convention to promote and, uh, support, uh, the Bodana Group's initiative. And he was also there to, uh, actually, uh, show off a game he had kickstarted called Project Biomotus, which is basically a tabletop, was basically a tabletop RPG where you create characters, and he described it as <laughs> Shadowrun meets Mad Max. It's a cyberpunk dystopian future where tech goes crazy and it becomes post-apocalyptic, and you're basically the next step of humanity. You're basically bio-cyborgs, and you're dealing with crazy high-end stuff. And it, it was absolutely nuts. It was it was it, there was a big old dollop of Metal Gear, Deus Ex, Fallout, Mad Max, just this big mishmash of crazy, and I remember just having an absolute ball going through its end, uh, dealing with uh, cyber zombies and giant monsters, and that that was probably a highlight. Um, if you're, if you're curious at all as to how to get as how to get the book, you can actually find the Kickstarter page, Project Biomodus, B I O M O D U S. You check that out. And that was that was a minor thing. I also came across a very interesting uh, social RPG called The Fifth World, also developed by um, uh, a sort of husband and wife group, which was another uh, RPG about the apocalypse, but it's set like eight, 800, 600 years after humanity has collapsed, and it's a new wave of humanity that's kind of gone back to native um, tribalist hunter-gatherer mentality. And it's more... It, there was actually no dice. It involved coins 
and a deck and a deck of cards with four different suits. You know, the hearts, clubs, spades, and uh, diamonds. And it was actually it was much more collaborative than I was expecting. Like usually, a tabletop game has the players and the game master. The game master tells you what happens, and the players say, "I wish to do this in this world," and you resolve it. The scenarios became more about collaborative world building, where players would articulate other matters to another player, and the conflict would be based off of a, a, a card they had. Like the conflict could be emotional or mental or spiritual in nature. And it became a lot more about understanding and parsing and kind of piecing together the intention behind a scenario more than I roll to attack the thing and I roll for damage. It was a lot more creatively uh, cre- cre- creatively allowed than I expected. And it was also a perspective of design that I always find fascinating. Uh, you know, always doing RPGs that isn't just about killing. And it was uh, it was also very, very rules light. Like I said, it was just simple mechanic, coins, and cards. That was it. There was no charts, no crunch, no nothing, which was actually a running uh, theme throughout some of the major stuff I kept popping up, kept finding. Michael, um, like, I don't know, how familiar are you with, with pen and paper RPGs? Ooh, I have tried to get into it, but um, trying to get people together for it has always been the big issue. So, unfortunately, I am not well-versed in the uh, genre. You said you you said you tried it once, I think, with uh, like, like you were able to take over a character for a while. And I have to ask, was it a bit daunting to see a character sheet that was full of charts and stats and feats and numbers you didn't fully understand? Not really. I guess because like I, I got used to it rather quickly. Um, I, don't, I guess years of playing RPGs and looking at uh, skill trees and stuff actually helped me. In, but um. Uh, I, I, I do feel like sometimes it can be calmed down and, I guess, streamlined a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it wasn't too difficult for me. I got it within a few minutes. That's understandable because that's actually been something I'm noticing right now with a lot more pen and paper systems. They're trying to go for something much more elegant and light with crunch and numbers and trying to facilitate more player expression and player input, which is why there, there are systems like Apocalypse World and Fate, where you don't have stats, you have aspects which are ideas for the character, like your high concept is is a drunk detective wizard, your weakness is you're addicted to alcohol, another aspect is you're quick on your feet because you're paranoid, stuff like that, and that fleshes out the character a lot more than dexterity 14, intelligence 10, whatever. And I think the only like major crunch-oriented stuff I saw was Project Biomotus, and uh, Pathfinder and Starfinder, which are basically the fantasy and sci-fi Coke to Dungeons & Dragons Pepsi. And it was a recurring thing I noticed with, with another creative. I did. I only got so little time to talk to him. It was the end of the convention. He was packing up. Uh, Pete Petrusca, who was, uh, the, who was the creator of uh, Dream Chaser, uh, another another brand new system that was being shown off. Once again, successfully kickstarted. He has his own website. Check it out. Uh, and it was basically about trying to take the idea of creativity and making it more collaborative. Once again, making it easier for the game master to run something and making it easier for the players to run something, because I've actually had situations where I've been a game master, and it's actually quite terrifying to show up to a session. Like, you, you get everybody together, you're there, and congratulations, you're basically trying to pitch a story to a bunch of these players, and you're trying to appeal to all of their all of their wants. You know, they want to kill something, they want to role play, they want to get into a grand adventure. And sometimes you can mess up. Sometimes things can go wrong, and there can lead to problems. Or worse yet, stage fright can happen. You can forget your notes. You cannot take notes at all. And he, or he was talking about how he was trying to make a system that would be easy for players who have almost no experience with gaming at all. Not even video games, and bring them into the fold. You know, basically break down this bizarre paradigm of gatekeeping, which has happened in this in the community, where it's like if you don't understand all of this, you should not be playing. No, it's like no, no, no. no. Let's just change the system, and that's uh, that was something I noticed as well. Going for this mechanics light, accessible design, and 
I appreciated that. I appreciated the appeal of it. And he was a very passionate dude, very cool guy. But uh, probably the biggest highlight, though, had to be, beyond the shadow of a doubt, me speaking with um, Christopher Brown, who is the creator of the board game Welcome to Slaughterville. I take you have never heard of it. Well, I know you have been on a tangent for that game. So please, by all means, I'm guessing it's going to be your favorite game, your favorite game um, at the convention. So by all means, take game, it away. It's the kind of game that I wish I knew about sooner, which is always a good sign. Well, for the game itself, not for me. Topicality, topicality. <clears throat> It was, it, it is, here's, here's the thing. When I found out it was there and I became interest, interested in it, he wasn't there on the first day by the time I got to him. So I had to, so I had to say, okay, put a pin in that. And I finally met him Saturday. On the day that I was in such a rush, I forgot my business cards. I got him as if, I got him info anyway, so, you know, I'm cool. <laughs> and I talked with him. And apparently, once again, it was another Kickstarter success story where he tried, where he had this idea for for a horror game because there's actually a lot of these board games out there where it's where it's you and the team of players versus the game itself, and there's plenty out there about you be, being adventurers trying to kill a monster in a horror setting, like um, Touch of Evil, where it's gothic and you're going after you know you know various uh, gothic type and you know type of archetypes the scarecrow the vampire the werewolf etc or it's more cosmic lovecraftian horror or it's more generic slasher horror whatever and his mission statement for the game was how do i take all these different flavors of horror themed excitement pare it down to its most basic level and put it all together into into an all-in-one game and that was the uh, that was basically Welcome to Slaughterville, and <laughs> as I talked with him, he clearly loves his horror movies, he loves his horror media, and he loves games. He loves gaming. He loves to uh, you know bring that joy of uh, surviving a horror game or surviving a horror experience and triumphing over the monster at the end, and. Um, when he got it funded, he actually managed to um, – uh, he uh, showed it off at uh, Let's Play PA, which is this local state convention basically showing off, you know, you know the, the latest in gaming. And in 2015, his game won Best Tabletop Game, and it also won Best in Show, as in the entire show. In addition – yeah, he was competing with – Games on consoles and PC. He was he was competing against the PS4 game, Xbox One, you know, all this big stuff, and he got and his game won best in show. It's like what 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 what, what? Yeah, this modest little board game, and that really surprised me. Just hearing that excitement from him, and not here's the thing: he wasn't just hawking that game, but he's saying, "Hey, I won an award, buy my stuff." He was also there actively beta testing expansions to the game. So, okay, so the uh, expansions were there being prototyped, or he just brought um, in a bunch of uh, expansion packs for it? He still there were expansion packs that were already made and were already there and were being sold and were basically finalized. Like they had the artwork and everything for okay. officially published and stuff. But he also had like play test versions of other stuff there. Like, I think he had, like, a playtest versions of Dracula as the villain or uh, a Cthulhu cult as the villain. Because, the uh, like I said, the concept is you, 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 have, you have a deck of player cards, which are based off of horror archetypes, the stoner, the hottie, the bad boy, whatever, and that's your player. And you have a bunch of locations, like... Okay, like so, the okay seven- so here's my question. Um, compared to games like the new Friday the 13th and last... Was it Last Daylight? Last Light? Dead by Daylight? Yes, Dead by Daylight. <laughs> Do you think that's like? Do you think that game feels like a, a card, a tabletop card version of those things? I think I I wouldn't say that's a good enough comparison. I would say I, I would say it's similar in, in design, except the villain, the monster, is played by the game itself, and it's you versus the game, basically. So, so uh, see, Friday Thirteenth Dead by Daylight gives you the feel, allows you to play as the monster and to kill. This is much more. This is much more cooperative by nature. Okay, but so it's, it, so it's as if those games were more PVE then. 
Exactly. Like, like the like I was trying to explain it. It's, it's basically the idea is you choose your characters, once again, based off of certain archetypes. You set up a bunch of locations which have their own decks um, that you shuffle and put, put down. And then you choose a villain you face. And these can be the slasher, which is basically generic slasher, you know, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, whoever. A serial killer, which was kind of like, uh, you know, Saw, I guess, or whatever. Or it can be... You know, just about just about anything, and that villain has certain win conditions, certain lose conditions, and how he operates, and how the players can beat him. And then from there, you basically take turns exploring the different locations, and you have to try to get items and allies to boost the stats of your characters, and attempt to defeat the villain. Because some of them operate differently. The serial killer operates on a timer because he's trying to kill people, and if you don't figure out who he is, quote unquote, by you know, damaging him, which is how they contextualize the damage, he gets away and everybody loses. Or there's even a social deduction element, which is a form of board game where one of the players is actually the villain. Like, there's a version of it where somebody is possessed by the spirit of Jack the Ripper, and it becomes and it becomes basically a whodunit, where you're trying to figure out which player can you trust, which player can you deal with, you know, who, who, you know, who you're willing to ally with. And there's similar ones done with you know, zombie hordes or invasion of the body snatchers and you know, all this different stuff. And there's once again different flavors and variations of villain that, that turn the mechanic, the very simple mechanics on their heels. And that's what got me about this game. Welcome to Slaughterville. It's simple and it's most basic forms, but it's so modular. It's the very, the very fact you can change something as simple as a one location per game. And it totally changes the, totally changes the focus. And, that I think is also uh, brilliant about it. Also, very few pieces. Like it's very easily put put away. You just have um, uh, wounds, clues, player pieces, and some dice. The rest are just cards and uh, boards. It's very easy to put away. Very small. Very compact. And I figured out immediately why this game won the awards. It did. It's a very elegant, well put together experience. And I know some friends that do like them some board games, and it is, you know, October, and it's just great to be able to say, hey, you want to play Welcome to Slaughterville? Like, okay, what flavor of, you know, you know, madness do we want to put ourselves through? Do we want to uh, try to find a serial killer? Do we want to try to survive the slasher? Or are we going to try to defeat the Dream Demon? Something like that. And it sounds like a lot, to be honest. Like, whoa. That- it sounds like there's a whole lot going on. There's a lot. You know, there, there, that's what we're trying to get at, though. The rules itself is simple. Like, I picked. I actually have the instruction manual right here with me. It's ten pages long. That's it. Pretty that's sure, pretty sure for some people, ten pages. Well, then again, like a regular book that's in a video game is usually longer than that. But so, yeah, it, so it covers it, everything within ten pages. It covers everything within ten, within ten pages. How, uh, what, how to move? What? Why clues are important? And why well, clues are important, and how uh, and how to how to damage the villain. Everything else is baked into how the villain plays. As long as you know the basics, you can figure out how they change that based on you know, based on what you choose. And for me, that is beautiful because, like I said before, I tried playing similar games that have very similar themes to it. Where, because I've seen this structure done before, like I mentioned, Touch of Evil, which is another, which is which is a gothic board game where they have different decks based on different locations. You have investigators, you have a big world, you have a big map, and but you also have a villain. You also have villain-focused minions that go after after the heroes. You also have a piece about where their lair is, and you have to figure out where the lair is. You also have a bunch of elders and secret cards. Because the elders may be working with the villain, but they may also be going after the heroes. And you got to deal with that and inventory management and what die roll me- dice rolls mean. And I'm not even kidding. Yes, again, instruction- that sounds like no. no a the instruction manual for the instruction manual for that though was like 50 pages, and it took me forever to get through any of it. It was a slog to set that one up. Welcome to Slaughterville. Took me five, six minutes tops, and I just pull up in the manual. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. We got this. Like, I picked it up immediately. It was very okay, well put so, together. So, so newcomers shouldn't have too much problem, too much, uh, too much trouble with it, right? Or oh, no, is, or no, is it no. something like uh, it takes a few minutes just to get the basic rules down? Um, 
I had the best possible litmus test for it. I actually ran a game with my grandparents, with my grandmother. She doesn't play board games all that much. She picked it up pretty quickly, like within two or three turns. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's... All right, cool. Okay, so... Man, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, like, the whole concept and the rules of this game. Um, so... <laughs> uh, I, I, I may not have explained all that well, but you know there was that... <laughs> well, I did my best. There is one big thing that did top off the show, which was... It was called Character Sheets, A Study in Absolute Chaos. And this was something that the event did itself that put a huge smile on my face. Whenever you went in and got your badge, you also got a character sheet. And and it was a very interesting character sheet. Like I said before, you know, it's you know, I'm used to RPG systems. Like strength, dexterity, constitution, spells, alignment, race, class, all the different stuff. But this was utter freaking nonsense. Like mine was race, raccoon, height, six feet tall, age, 91, class, clown, alignment, true stupid, Inventory, slip and slide, invisibility class. They exist. Were you a joker? It existed in, th- in third edition D and D, and nobody likes to talk about it. But yeah, it was just random stuff. Sexuality, Pat. I'm not kidding. God he worships. D. None of the above. Spells. Summon Segway. <laughs> like just silly, crazy nonsense. And I found out that it was done for the sh- it was done for the convention. Because apparently there was a spot there where everybody else also got random, crazy, nonsense-generated gener- character sheets. And he had a game master there with books upon books of modules from other systems. And just said, okay, let's see how stupid we can get with these characters with this nonsense and me just spitballing and just taking random stuff from all these other modules. And let's just see how this ends. <laughs> not well, but yeah. So uh, it, it, it did not. It did not end it well. <laughs> I, so how how did it go for you with your character sheet? How to go? How to go for me? I was alignment true, true, stupid. So I kept doing idiotic, idiotic nonsense. Like I think I wound up breakdance fighting against a bunch of dog soldiers, <laughs> saying it's okay. I'm with the band. <laughs> for absolutely no explained reason. And it ended with the nothing from a never-ending story coming after us. And it, and it wasn't for my ranks in Kashyyyk Bikini Wax, we <laughs> the end of the world would have been started. And then it ended with the party all escaping on the Space Winnebago from Spaceballs. I'm going to pretend it, I heard none of that. <laughs> it was... It is, by definition of its own description, an exercise, a study in complete chaos. I mean, but it it does sound, interactions like that do sound pretty fun. I'll give it that. That sounds, it sounds like, it sounds like, it sounds like the kind of experience you don't get anywhere else. Yes, that's what really, that's what really got me. I mean, using twerking to distract the shrinky dink dragon. I'm done. I had 18. Okay. Wow. I had eight, I had eighteen ranks in twerking, and I was an idiot because I wanted to draw the killer dragon back to us. <laughs> Who's coming up with this? <laughs> who Who is the person who stayed up at night writing this stuff? <laughs> I, I I think I asked them. They said they said they basically just got a bunch of random word generators for the for the fields and just said just said hit and just hit a bunch of stuff. Okay, that makes more sense. I'm okay with that now. Because if somebody reads all the time, you like, you know what? I want somebody to have, like, plus 13 torque dexterity. Like, what? Who thinks of that stuff? T- 10 ranks of breakdance fighting, 18 ranks in trolling. I'm not kidding. That was on my sheet. No companions? Those... They, they, didn't have anything, they didn't have any sheets for companions or anything? Those dogs will never be the same ever again after I cast spay and neuter animals. Okay, Bob Barker. Well, Bob Barker the Destroyer. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> All right. And they're off. <laughs> oh, but, poor dogs. But, but yeah, that was the highlights. Of, definitely one of the bigger highlights of Save Against Fear. If you want to hear, if you want to read more about my time at Save Against Fear, I am going to be publishing. 
several, I guess, developer hands-on, for lack of a better term, articles at thegamefanatics.com. And, of course, the Madonna Group is a nonprofit organization that can always use a little bit of uh, support in any small way. And um, I will be um, uh, linking in, in those articles um, uh, place, uh, URLs to go to these stores if you're interested in these games yourselves. Like I know Laughing Rogue Games does produce uh, Welcome to Slaughterville. If you want to check out that particular board game, it's worth it. Um, uh, the Fifth World is, um, uh, is is pretty actively available. And Project Biomotus will actually soon be available in uh, both in brick-and-mortar st- st- stores and, of course, at, at various um, RPG uh, digital distribution sites like drivethroughrpg.com, so keep an eye on that. And, of course, I think thou about to do it for this episode of That Random Podcast Show. So, if you want to follow my thoughts in a more stalkery, social media kind of way, you can follow me on Twitter at Darth Rahu, capital D, capital R, all one word. I also write professionally at uh, thegamefanatics.com, and I blog on the occasion at cybertavern.blogspot.com. I also stream every Friday night at twitch.tv slash digidesperado26. As of this recording, I'm about to wrap up my final, my entire playthrough of Resident Evil 7 Biohazard for Halloween. So please, check that out if you're interested in the spoop. Uh, Michael, where can we follow you? Well, mine would be less spoopy. You can follow me on Twitter at M underscore M-O-S-L-E-Y underscore J-R. And if for some strange reason you can't find me that way, you can find my Twitter handle of ZafMod. And I will be getting back on Twitch and Mixer quite soon but hey gotta start doing all these editings first so that's fun and um don't forget you can also find us on anchor google yep. uh, podcast uh, google podcast apple podcast and google music <laughs> i think that'll be it then until next time everybody stay awesome keep playing and don't be jerks good night everybody mundo bunga bonker